When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Think you're feeling now pretty I, inadequate. Yeah, now I you're really 26. Am. Yeah. And uh, you haven't made Magnolia. Well, at 26, he made Boogie Nights. <laughs> and he makes Magnolia. When he's 28 and 29. Well, I'm 40 next year, so what does that, what kind of hope is that <laughs> well, for me? You yeah. know, exactly, Woody Allen well. made Annie Hall at 40, didn't But he'd he? made other films before that. Yeah, he had. <laughs> we might as well just give up. Hey guys, you're listening to episode 117 of Flixwater Podcast. Hey everybody, and welcome to this episode of Flixwater Podcast. Today we are joined by Louisa. Hello. And Jake. Hiya. And we're going to be talking about Hard Eight with Helen. Hello. As always fan of the show make sure you follow us on twitter at FlixWatcherPod. visit the website flixwatcher.tv for full listings and hit subscribe wherever you find your podcasts just to let you know guys all films were available on netflix uk at the time of recording please note there will be some bad language and there will be spoilers Hello and welcome to this episode of Flix Watcher Podcast. Joining us today, we have Jake and Louisa. If you would like to introduce yourselves and tell the listeners a little bit more about your podcast and work that you do. Sure. Uh, so I work for Random Acts, which is Channel 4's short film art strand. Uh, so a lot of kind of four to five minute strange things that generally play at midnight when people come back from the pub and aren't really sure whether they watched it or dreamed it. <laughs> uh, that's what I do most of the time. But in my pod world, I uh, host a show all about Studio Ghibli. I had sadly never seen a Studio Ghibli film until uh, about 12 months ago. And my colleague made me remedy that by watching them all along with him uh, and learning all about them one film at a time. Uh, and it's been a wonderful journey, and we're about two-thirds of the way through all of their films. Uh, the show is called Ghibliotech. And how many how many Studio Ghibli films are there? Uh, we've only got 24, so it's a very limited series. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we do this on every episode. So if anyone's got any <laughs> ideas about what we could do afterwards, because <laughs> we do enjoy it. But uh, it's still, I mean, it's quite prolific for one studio to have made that many films of a specific type, aren't they? Yeah, it's interesting because no other studio really acts as gets treated in a way like a genre like they do uh you've almost got that with a24 they release an enormous variety of films but they have a kind of cult-like phenomena around them uh which studio ghibli also garners um but they do kind of 
act as a realm amongst themselves yeah. uh, and all of them all of the films bar a few do seem to operate all within the same kind of sphere and a lot of them have the very same you, you know you could take one still of a film you've never seen but go oh that's a studio ghibli film yeah well, or generally that that would probably be a miyazaki film yeah i think uh, so yeah. so that's spirited away my neighbor totoro Howl's moving castle these are the popular ones that people recognize but like princess K- K- the tale of princess kaguya would look different to exactly. those kind of standards but yeah it's good that there is like similar aesthetic that does, does kind of run through. Mm. But when you said that about A24, I think a modern one, which might be kind of similar, would be like a Blumhouse. Yeah, very film. true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, I, don't, I don't know if it's perhaps got as much of a, a love to it no. as Studio Ghibli does. <laughs> well, maybe the next year could be Blumhouse and then there'll be an ongoing. I'd have to really cross a horror threshold because that's not my thing. So I'd, I'd, if someone can force me into watching a load of Bloomhouse, maybe that's an opportunity for a new podcast. Well, as we record this, Midsummer is out and I'm, I'm, I'm always like teetering because everyone says it's amazing, but also I'm such a big scaredy cat. Um, so you've not seen it yet? I've not seen it. It's not okay. that scary. I'm going, going tomorrow, so going no tomorrow. spoilers. No spoilers oh, at all. Gonna, oh, we're not, absolutely not going to spoil. Yeah. Um, and who are you? Okay, so yeah. I'm I'm Louisa, and I am the co-founder and director of Girls on Tops, and we are a t-shirt celebration of women in film. You've probably seen our t-shirts if you go to any sort of cinema around, in and around London. They're white with um, black or red or gold names of various women in the film industry. I love how you said we've probably seen your stuff. <laughs> oh no, it's, you... it's so prolific now, isn't it? Uh, within a, within a certain certain realm, yeah, uh, within a certain kind of. Not person, but you know, uh, we're not a cult. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to midsummer. Yeah, but, I mean, there are four people in this room, and two of two of which are wearing a t-shirt. And I'm not, standard? which is you're not, you're not wearing a t-shirt. Freudian <laughs> <laughs> slip, slip. I'm not wearing one of my own t-shirts. I've got a few of your t-shirts in my bag, though, yep. ready to put on at any moment. Yep. Should we? Should we need to up the? It's not bribery. I hope that, that's all the time. Emergency yeah. girls yeah, exactly. on top seats. Emergency girls on top seats. What was it like the first time you saw one in the wild from someone you hadn't, um, um, didn't know personally? I think the first. <laughs> I mean, this is going to sound really um, like my ego is huge. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't in the actual world, as in I was in the world with them. Yeah. But it was Tracy Letts. Oh, wow. And it was a photograph from um, TIFF in 2017 from That's Ladybird. Toronto International Film Festival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but in the actual real world, sort of less grand, I was in Walthamstow Central Tube Station. And I saw an Andrea Arnold t-shirt pass me on the escalator. And <laughs> she was gone before I could sort of track her down. I made those. <laughs> <laughs> but I have, I've seen um, one girl in a in a cinema and I went up and said um oh you're wearing a t-shirt and I made that and she sort of was a bit awkward <laughs> so I ha- I don't tend to do that now I just oh, no. an- I'm anonymous but that's really cool though isn't it yeah it's really cool yeah I think it's a yeah. fantastic thing girls on top tees thank you I think the first, first time I saw one in the wild was was Jake wearing it and I was like I've seen those in the paper and I need to know more about them <laughs> um what well, you've got Greta Gerwig I have yeah I love her. Yeah. <laughs> that um, was the one that Tracy Letts wore, wasn't it? That was, yeah, it was, yeah. yeah. So, guys, we're here talking about Hard Eight, which is your choice, Jake. It was. Um, can you tell us why you chose it and give us a two-minute synopsis? I chose Hard Eight because it's Paul Thomas Anderson's first film. Um, people will have heard of his films Phantom Thread, There Will mm. Be Blood, Boogie Nights, uh, Inherent Vice, The Master, yeah. Punch Drunk Love, huge films <laughs> that are insanely well regarded and very popular. Uh, he's actually just released a new film on Netflix as well. And what's that called? It's called Anima. It's yeah. only 12 minutes long. Here I am again, 
going for the short films. <laughs> I've just got to keep my job somehow. Um, but Hard Eight uh, had a bit of like production issues and got kind of got stuck in uh, post hell and. Uh, it kind of got forgotten about once Boogie Nights came out because Boogie Nights almost felt like this grand entrance and sure. Hard Eight got forgotten. Um, and Hard Eight is the story of a young man called John, played by John C. Riley, who is down on his luck in Reno. He just needs to get six grand together so that he can bury his mum. Uh, and an older gentleman called Sidney, who is well-versed in the ways of gambling, Uh shows him the ways of how how he can secure that money through various means in Las Vegas. Uh, And then it's quite a freewheeling story. Uh, There's not too much of a plot to it. Uh, And we just kind of get to follow Sydney and John and the people that they meet along the way through their antics around uh, the neon of Vegas. Um, was it actually Vegas? Was it Reno? And so a, it crosses a, a few yeah. different places, but R- Reno is where we begin. Yeah, yeah. Um, Helen, what were your thoughts on on Hard Eight? So I had no idea that this film existed. Yeah. I don't quite know. Neither did I. Why? Uh, yeah. and, and and kind of always assumed that maybe Boogie Nights was the first one, but I was wrong. Which um, would have been actually insane for your first film to be Boogie Nights. Um, this is been, insane though. that this is his yeah. first one. It, it's more, it's, yeah, it's just the fact or the whole cast he has in, in Boogie Nights mm. and it's such a confident film and it's so polished. You're like, you see it more and more now that the first films that people have out are outstanding, but back then it's like, dude, really? You yeah. absolute bastard. But yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I had no idea that this existed and um, it's really interesting seeing Gwyneth Paltrow in a film like this. Mm-hmm being quite interesting and being really good which and she doesn't really tend to do much these days <laughs> she doesn't, well, she doesn't, well i'm not really a no, fan I, of her yeah. other I was projects yeah, yeah. um you're thinking you weren't a fan um i just, was thinking it was this film is paltrow during the time where she was that sort of very cool really sparkly and sparkly, sparkly but also yeah. this sort of dark something dark within mm sort of iconic was it her first feature then as well I'm not not sure if it's her first feature um, but I get what you mean about her in this Um, like looking at what she's doing now I mean actually the most yeah Mm. the most recent thing that I actually saw in was her appearance in the chef show uh, where she doesn't remember that she's in a Spider-Man film (laughs) and has to be corrected about that Uh, and I think that shows that she's kind of just doing projects to do projects that Mm -hmm. she's contracted for and Mm -hmm. uh, it's really nice to go back to see the early part of someone's career where they are kind of flexing their muscles figuring out who they are as a performer and in this she's quite shabby Uh, she kind of it's a role that fits her skinny frame and fits those yeah. big eyes. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a shame that she we don't see more of her doing this kind of thing. Well, this came out after Seven, which is a try- was kind of place helped to place it for most people in in Gwyneth's uh, canon. And what else came out? This I mean, you you must like Gwyneth and Helen in um, Raw Tannenbaum. Yes, I think she's great in that. that- <laughs> That's what I was thinking about. Yeah. Sort of, I think you could put those two performances. Sort of, you can almost couple them together. Yeah, I know this is an audio medium, but you can uh, rely that on a fancy dress night for Wes Anderson, Louis will be going as uh, Gwyneth <laughs> in Royal Tenenbaums. How did you do wooden finger? I actually didn't realise that that was a thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I just had my regular fingers. Because, oh. um, yeah, this did actually happen. I mean, it's quite difficult to find a, f- a floor length fur coat. 
Yeah, but you, you get you've got the hair. I did have the, the fake uh, cigarette yeah, as well. That yeah, I, that's all you need. I was um, I pretended to smoke all evening. Yeah, and <laughs> lots of eyeliner as well. Yeah. yeah, I would hope so. Sliding doors as well. That's an early kind of Gwyneth role that kind of divides people. And I think that was my first one I saw of hers, and I thought she was English at the time. But then revisiting it, I'm like, that's such a bad hammy. <laughs> I don't think accent. you were the only one. No, I think I'm, she, was Shakespeare in love? Did she have a British accent in that? Did she put one? I. Couldn't tell you. I can't say I've <laughs> revisited Shakespeare in love for a long time. <laughs> I actually uh, thought to myself, oh, I should rewatch that recently. Really? Should you? Yeah, because it's got um, what's his name? Not Ray Fiennes. Jonathan Reeves. Yeah. Uh, uh, Joe Fiennes. Joe, Joe Fiennes. Yeah. Joe Fiennes. yeah. Um, Is that f- just because you like The Handmaid's Tale? Yeah, I sort of wanted to see what he's like. You know, when he's not an evil. <laughs> Commander. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> uh, what were your thoughts, Louisa, of Hard Eight? Um, I didn't find it, and I know that's quite a lame thing to say, I didn't find it an easy watch. Sure. I we, don't we think We did it's... watch this separately, and as it started, you texted me saying, oh, this is such a boy film. <laughs> yeah, it did seem to me to be quite a boyish. It's not something that I would watch of my own accord. Mm. I don't think I would have watched it if, if I wasn't coming on this podcast. But I... You, but, <laughs> but you have watched and really liked all the other Paul Thomas Anderson films that you've seen. Yes, I think this is my least favorite. Oh, really? I think because this is sort of the, it, I think it's probably the smallest in mm. terms of plot and length. Yeah, I think Punch Strong Love the is show. yeah the uh, shorter, and yeah. I didn't like that either. No, that's true. But then you do like Phantom Thread, which is another short one. But yeah, that's, that's I mean, like that kind of a lush, different beast. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, we, so we, like, you aren't really into like crime stuff or anything. No, like I'm that. not Gangster-y. a sort of neo noir thrillery type. But you did grow into it. <laughs> like, you're really trying to. I am, yeah. Because I picked this. Sure. And so I'm, I'm trying to boost my currency. We do get some, we do get some like defensive uh, scoring and. Yes. And sometimes we feel maybe we need to offer some kind of counseling after, <laughs> after our guests have, have been yeah. on just to say it is, it is okay. okay. I, en- I enjoyed it as a sort of character study. Sure. But beyond that, it was, it was a tough watch for me. Just but- in terms of themes and not tough as in you know traumatic but just mm. it was not a particularly enjoyable experience <laughs> yeah i i i think that's a a really interesting way of viewing it because what i like about it is that there isn't much to grip onto in terms of plot to get uh, it's this is coming pretty hot off the heels off of pulp fiction mm. as well and people are seeing that like nighttime neo-noir crime 90s feel and they've come off of the high energy, like uh, ensemble feel of a Tarantino, and then you go into a Paul Thomas Anderson film, which is, they are a lusher thing. Like, yeah. You can really ease into their world. Whereas Tarantino, like, as much as people are enjoying them, he's, he's quite a brutish filmmaker, and he's kind of slapping you in the face all the time. And it's interesting to have a crime film set in Vegas, which is all about lights and noise, and it's actually surprisingly relaxing. It's quite chill for a film about gambling in nevada because it is kind of the way the whole kind of setup is philip baker hall comes across john c Riley and just it seems just just to be helping him out for 
for the good of his own heart. Mm. We've, obviously, we find out a bit later on there's a bit of guilt behind why he decides to help him out. Mm-hmm. But then there's just a bit of a meandering storyline. And when you compare this to other, his other his other outputs, there is there is kind of a marked difference in in uh, cinematography style, is lushness. I don't know what this, what kind of film stock this was shot on, but it's not nowhere near as polished as Boogie Nights, which will be his, which will be his next one. So I'd be quite interested to see what if he was to redo this, what what would it look like, and what mm. and how would it kind of play out? Because other than how it looks, I think he pretty much must have been able to do everything he wanted. Well, it's interesting because. Roger Elsewhere is the cinematographer right. who would shoot Boogie Nights sure. and would shoot There Will Be Blood and go all the way up his career until Phantom Thread when he decided when to he shoot shot himself, didn't exactly. he? Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I think you do see some of like what would be in the DNA of Boogie Nights. There's there some are, like, like, tracking shots. Exactly. Yeah. And like this, these rooms full of characters filled with neon lights and cutting through the kind of noise of a scenario like the nightclub at the start of boogie nights by yeah. using the camera to focus in on characters uh and that is here but it is also quite plain at points whereas something like there will be blood or phantom thread it's like screenshot after screenshot yeah it's outstanding. Uh, and boogie nights kind of has at times that a little just soap opera whacker camera there just to get what we need how does this rank for you helen in the paul tom sanson realm so i was just thinking so i probably would have said that i was a paul thomas anderson fan Mm. um but having watched this um i don't know if i am (laughs) (laughs) because you're on the the louisa side well i was i was looking at um the films he has done and out of that list i mean i only really 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 like boogie nights and magnolia um i haven't seen um inherent vice yet and i haven't seen phantom thread Mm. And I I got quite irritated with the master. I didn't really get on with that. And I didn't make it all the way through yet, through There Will Be Blood. So I'm wondering whether I am a fan or not. So what, what did you thought on Punch Drug Love, sorry? Punch I've, Drunk I've Love. seen it. Yeah. I can't really remember that much about it. It's got Adam Sandler in it, yep. which is a big thing that I made it all the way through. <laughs> but I can remember not hating it. Sure. So I think I'd have to revisit that one. Has everyone, so I've not seen all of... Paul Thomas Anderson's all of his films and I think there is a kind of I've only seen Boogie Nights once for example or maybe I've only seen them once but things like Inherent Vice and The Master just seem like a bit oppressive to even for me to get started the whole like three hours of The Master and it's shot in 70 mil film and I didn't see it at the cinema so I'm like do I want to watch it on my on my TV screen is that going to convey what he's trying to get through and Inherent Vice everyone just kind of says the trailers didn't actually make out to be the film but I love There Will Be Blood. Mm-hmm. I thought that Punch Drunk Love was awesome. So the, and I wasn't that big a fan of Magnolia. I know lots of people love it to bits. See, I really, really loved that. Yeah. Well, and you only saw that for the first time this year. And yeah. you were lucky enough to actually watch it for the first time in a cinema mm-hmm. yeah. as well, which yeah. must have been great. Yeah. Magnolia. Really yeah. Because I wouldn't really call myself a Paul Thomas Anderson fan. But then also, I find it difficult to sort of rectify the Paul Thomas Anderson of Magnolia with Phantom Thread. Mm. It's all so different. Mm. Inherent Vice is very different. Yeah. Like, which sort of makes me like him even more because he's got lots of strings to his. Away. Yeah. Yeah. And like Magnolia is just three hours of people screaming. <laughs> uh, and it's like a workout and you come out of it and you do feel totally drained. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Phantom Thread is the polar opposite of that. It's, it's so easy to watch. You could mm. fall asleep to it. And I actually don't think he'd mind if you did. 
No. You shouldn't fall asleep to it. No, but you could. Parts of the Trance for me, I really, really enjoyed that. And it's one, of the, it's one of the films where I kind of think, how did you actually even make this idea? And why have you made it? How have you made it so well? And because it's so it makes, beautiful. It sounds well, like such a boring concept. Well, it's, it came from Paul Thomas Anderson genuinely being ill in bed. And mm. Maya Rudolph, his wife, was having to bring him food and drink and help him out. And then he suddenly realized, oh, you have all the power. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then went off to Ireland to write a script with Daniel Day-Lewis. Yeah. And they made up this cartoon name until they figured out what the real character was called. They were like, what if we called him Reynolds Woodcock for a laugh? And then eventually they ran through it so much. They're like, oh yeah, that's it. that's it. That could only ever have been his name. Yeah. Yeah. We, just just in case you're wondering what we're doing, we're staring at the IMDb um, list of Paul Thomas Anderson. He's made films. a lot of things, hasn't he? Well, he the, has, there's I mean, a lot of music videos. Yeah, yeah. so I mean, I'm obviously like his Radiohead videos and um, some of the other stuff that he's, he's done, obviously Joanna Newsom and, and Haim and uh, Fiona Apple as well. So yeah. Hasn't he worked with Haim because they grew up on the same street? Mm. Or have I made that up? No, I think that's, that's right. Yeah. Or like right in the same area. Yeah. But that's like a lot of his stuff just goes back to making things with people that you know and yeah. people you're friends with. Like his great collaborator, Philip Zimmer Hoffman is there throughout, uh, from hard eight up until his death even if it's in like a small role like here it's a one scene or in punch drunk love it's a minor character or even like the master where it's a huge role um and he just goes back to the the people that he likes the locations that he likes as well like philip baker hall comes up again in magnolia um and john c Riley through there in boogie nights too and i i would, would love to be at a Paul Thomas Anderson house party. Dinner party. Just imagine to who's, who's there. there. Yeah. Well, let's, I mean, let's look at his this first film. I'm not sure where John C. Riley was at the time. Uh, I yeah. I, I Samuel L. Jackson know. was post Jurassic Park. Post still, Jurassic Park. Still yeah, in but, uh, post Pulp Fiction, but was it was it shot before Pulp Fiction? No, no. This was. It would have been shot afterwards. So okay. um, he made. Well, Paul Thomas Anderson made a short called Cigarettes and Coffee. Uh, then that helped get him into the filmmaker's lab. Oh, is that difference Coffee and Cigarettes, which is Jim Jarmusch? It is. Oh, right, yeah. okay. Um, and Cheeky. So he gets into this <laughs> this lab at Sundance. Yeah. Um, and the diner scene between Sydney and John, our main characters here, that yeah. opens this film, the genesis of that is within that thing that he made with Sundance. Right. And that gradually gets expanded into Heartache, um, and as does the Philip Baker Hall role. And he gets to make this feature and bring together Samuel L. Jackson and these amazing people. And he's 25. This is something you, you mention pretty much like once every two weeks. Yeah. How old someone is. He's 25. He Just makes... the fact that he made all this stuff by the time he was 25. And I think you're feeling now pretty I, inadequate. Yeah, now I you're really 26. Had, yeah. And uh, you haven't made Magnolia. Well, at 26, he made Boogie Nights. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he makes Magnolia. When he's 28 and 29. Well, I'm 40 next year, so what does that, what kind of hope is <laughs> well, that for me? You yeah. know, exactly. Woody Allen well. made Annie Hall at 40, didn't But he'd he? made other films before that. Yeah, he had. <laughs> we might as well just give up, yeah. maybe. Cheers, I'll just... Uh, <laughs> Happy yeah. birthday, give OD up and, now. OD and some heroin. But uh, I always, uh, my main kind of benchmark is um, Ricky Gervais. He didn't make The Office until he was 40-something. Yeah. So you've got done, a couple of years. He hadn't done much before that, from what I remember. It's Did you have your yet. phase of being in a new romantic band, though? Um, I played guitar a bit, but not in bands. And I played at people's weddings. Um, <laughs> so that'll be it. Um, there won't be anything of me. It's Siona dancing was his, his uh, new wave romantic. I don't know why I know that. <laughs> <laughs> 
I wasn't in a new wave, new romantic band at all. There's still time, though. There's still time. But that'll be harking back to the 80s, like a, yeah. a revival. Um, so Phil, I don't I don't know much about Philip Baker Hall outside. I'm trying yeah. to place him. Um, so he played um, Nixon uh, in ah. a film in the 80s. Yeah. And then that kind of got relegated into obscurity. He played a quite famous character in Seinfeld. Um, but he was just... He was someone that Paul Thomas Anderson just really liked. Yeah. And he's he when you watch the film and you see him in Magnolia, he's got an amazing face. Yeah, he like, really does. Like even in his younger years, he looks like he's lived ten lives already. <laughs> um like some of those wrinkles are cavernous, they're amazing. You get lost in it. Um and there are these close ups in Hard Eight where you could just pause it and just watch him. It's quite hypnotic. And he's not like he's not an extremely handsome man or anything like that. He's just got one he's like Oh gosh, I don't know who to like. Pete Postlethwaite or sure. something. He's just he's got, got such an interesting face. face. Yeah, because he's not. He wouldn't typically be a leading person in a film, which mm. is what I'm quite surprised. Looking at the rest of the cast, Gwyneth, uh, Samuel, John C. Reilly is perhaps the least famous out of those, but he's still got you know a lot of notoriety behind him. Um, I'm surprised that he hasn't done more out of this because he seemed to, he, he carried the film really well. I thought, mm-hmm. and he was kind of the hard guy, hard-nosed guy, but he wasn't a tough guy. He, no. he, knew, he knew how to carry himself. He knew what to do when things needed to be done, but he wasn't an out-and-out tough guy. I think it's because it's such a subdued role. Mm. And that's why it's such a clever performance because you understand like that this man has seen the world and he knows how it works. And in the face of extreme danger at a certain point in the film, he is so calm yeah. about it. And that will trick people into thinking that this is an undramatic performance, but it's actually a really sharp one. Um, and it's far more interesting than any normal gangster performance, really, that's all shootouts and shouting. And that, that's why I really love it. And that, that's why I think it's like the original name of the film before the studio got involved was Sydney, the name okay. of the character. And, and that's what it should be, because it's just so great to follow him around for these two hours. When it first started and he's telling, he's teaching uh, John C. Reilly's character how to, how to make the most of 150 books. I was taking notes. <laughs> like, okay, that sounds quite good. It is an amazing scheme, yeah. isn't it? But also I'm like, that can't, you can't do that. No, it is. Like, that totally happened. And like, Paul Thomas, if you look it up online, like, Paul Thomas Anderson knows that. Like, it's just so based on stuff that he learned. He grew up in the San Fernando Valley. Lots of people going in and out to Vegas and just picked up all these things. But you can't do that now. You surely can't. No, I yeah, don't exactly. yeah. now. This film ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, we're all these scammers. <laughs> yeah. um, Helen, PSH. Oh, yes. I forgot that written down, actually, PSH. Um, I mean, he's great in every film mm. that he's in. Even like Along Came Polly. I think he's really funny in that film. <laughs> he makes it. Um, yeah, I think every time you, you watch a film with him in, whether it's a, an old one or a more recent one, um, you, you just realise, you know, how talented mm. he was. And just, he just brings so much to the screen, even though he's only in it for this little bit. Like now. You I think just... he almost steals the show in yeah. this. Yeah. He's so good. Yeah. And that's, I think that's one of the, the scenes contrasting. He, Philip Seymour Hoffman never looks that young, but he's he's taking a fun out. He's taking a piss out of uh, Philip Baker Hall, saying, "Oh, come on, old man," and like him, riling him. And those two facing off against each other, and the way the camera cuts back between them both, it's such a nice kind of stark scene. And this is one of those points, as you're saying, um, Jake, where you see Philip Baker Hall just being kind of demure and like he he kind of knows exactly what to do, what what he wants to do. And I find it's actually our character when he goes, "Oh, fuck it, I'm going to put." $2,000 and hard mm. eight 
and he, he can kind of tell he's in turmoil he's when he rattled. does that. Yeah, mm. he's rattled by PSH. I say it's it's so good. Just and he's in it. Well, it's less than five minutes. It is. He's just brilliant. But it's also it's one of those few spikes of energy in the film as well. And because he, he he just comes in and he's actually kind of almost out of character for him to be such a kind of shouty abrasive guy as well. But then at the end of this brief scene, you just see him drop that pretense and kind of get into the wallow of losing <laughs> that money and uh, adopt uh, that. Philip Seymour Hoffman character that we've we've seen him performing in a lot more work as well. I saw just on the on the tube today. I saw someone next to me on their on their phone was watching one of the later Hunger Games films, mm. uh, which is when PSH died. And it was a scene with Plutarch Havensby, and I was just like, oh shit, he's dead, isn't he? I was like, mm. fuck, because um, he probably was. I think the last two Hunger Games films were terribly boring, but he, <laughs> him being in them was one of the one of the better features of it. Yeah. Should we go to the scores, guys? Let's head over to the scores. Uh, welcome to the spreadsheet of dreams. It's um, a very nice spreadsheet. Well yeah. done. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, how does this compare? Do you, do you have spreadsheets for girls and top tees? I do, yeah, but I tend to colour code. Ah. So I'm, we're missing some colours on this. Uh, people have commented on that. Maybe we can do something yeah, better. Jazz, jazz it up, maybe. Yeah. But yeah. I also just can't really do spreadsheets. I can do sort of the most basic... I just figured out how you can, you, like, not just have to press add. Like, you can use this, the sum thing. Yeah. yeah. So that's really revolutionized my my spreadsheeting journey. Well, that can give you some tips later on. Yes. Oh, can we do a spreadsheets podcast? We, we <laughs> I love a sheet. Let's, there might, you know, that sounds like such a popular idea. It must be a podcast for it already. Well, yeah. Let's do there some m- searching on our podcast. Yeah. If not, let's start it. Yeah, yeah. let's do it. Um, so but yeah, again. our scores, they're all out of five. Um, you can have decimal places. The lowest you can go is zero. And we'll start with the recommendability with you, Jake, as you pick this film. Yeah, um, for me, this is a straight four. I think you can really just... I, th- I think this is a safe bet because I think you can... This is has elements of a, of a dad film. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like Father's Day DVD, mm-hmm. sure. safe. Right. Like, uh, Maybe like brother-in-law. Yep. Re- Christmas like, present. Exactly. Yep. But if you feel like you have to do a gift that's like a bit more cultured or a recommendation that's going to impress people, like as... Like maybe someone needs you to go on their podcast and you're trying to think of something clever <laughs> and you think, oh, maybe, maybe like the first film from a guy that people have heard of that, and they don't really know the film. That's why it's a good one to recommend because it makes you sound more impressive than you really are. How, um, how did you even find this on Netflix? Because it's, it's one of those things where... It's pretty buried on there, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Well, it, it's just been on my list. Okay. You know? um, so you uh, search for it every now and again or it just it popped up for you? Uh, I think it was one of the... Cause on your list, it, like things come and go based yeah. on like when the rights go up and down there. And I'd forgotten it was on there. Right. And I think genuinely it had gone from the list. And then because I added it years ago. Sure. Never got around to watching it. Oh, so this is like you added it when you probably first got Netflix. You're yeah. Just, like, yeah. Searching around for films. Like, oh, I wonder if this is on there. Oh, it is. Yeah. Add to list. There we are. And then um, don't notice it for a while. And then like that list refresh happens yeah. or rights get updated. And there it is. Um, and it's a, it's a wonderful film. Louisa, your recommendability score. Well, I feel like I wouldn't recommend this to people <laughs> in my general circle. <laughs> Jake, I'm so sorry. Maybe 2.5. Sure. I'd recommend it to Jake. 
it is my kind of film. We can yeah. just recommend it to each other yeah. over and over again. I do, I do really, I really like kind of slow films, particularly about like processes that are also about dads. Because the thing is, no, right? I, I, I love slow films. Yeah, but this just, yeah. Well, I, I actually do think the film kind of loses. It's it's not a five because I think like the final third where it actually gets into the plot of it of why things are happening. Yeah, ah, forget about it. You, know? you just like the bit beforehand where yeah, just like the character talking the character bits. Yeah, 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 and just the figuring out bits. how the world works. The talking bits. Yeah, um, Helen, your um, recommended ability score. So not quite as high as you, Jake, or as low as you, Louise. I'm going to go for a three. Um, I think this is definitely if you haven't seen it and you're a, a PTA fan, it, you know you need to watch it for completion so you can have a hundred percent completion on that um uh but that means i have to watch inherent vice and the master yeah it does great so you do get 100 go for the master over inherent vice right but still it's what three and a bit hours isn't it yeah although no, inherent vice no inherent vice is, uh, is a beast that's like 230 but you but also master have shorter but you oh, have joanna newsome narrating and so you've got her great voice that's sort of between it's really a, high yeah an old woman and also a young baby infant girl yeah in the master no in the inherent vice okay. yeah yeah so yeah watch it for that alone <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah it's it's i think it's for completists only i mean if you said to me should you watch magnolia i'd be like yeah five you you have to watch that whereas mm-hmm. this i'd be like yeah i mean you watch it for you know philip seymour hoffman and gwyneth paltrow in younger more interesting roles but i i didn't really get into it um at all and i did find it a little bit of a slog um, personally so yeah a, a three um i'm gonna go for i'm gonna go for 3.5 i i'm glad you brought it to us because it's one i don't know why i don't know why i didn't know it existed it's i just, don't know it's, why either. it's bizarre because he hasn't done that many films that the early ones go into obscurity mm-hmm. and it's so easy to say oh the film he did before boogie nights mm-hmm. i'm gonna go 3.5 because i think i'd still watch it i haven't watched magnolia i think i maybe only watched it once and i don't think i'd watch it Again, readily, just because the, the running time just seems oppressive. It's it's really good though. I'm sure it is. It's like get still, get up early on Amy a Sunday. Man still, soundtrack. And... Still no. You, you you've had you've had Ella on the podcast before, haven't you, Ella Kemp? Yes. She famously she watched Magnolia for the first time, and then when it finished, went straight back and watched it again. Yes. That, that's six hours in one day. So yeah. she's yeah. So. So I maybe I maybe need to carve it out again. I've got it on DVD if you want to borrow it. I've got uh, the double disc version. <laughs> double disc version. Oh my god! Is this when like DVDs had two sides? No, Is no, that... it's just got two discs. Oh my Goodfellas DVD did that. Yeah, yeah. Turn it over in the yeah. middle of a film. That was so irritating. I was like, why would you want DVDs? You have to. I'm good. My VHS, my four-hour VHS. Um, yeah, three point five, and I would recommend it to people, and I, I would recommend it to cinephiles particularly, um, and anyone who's seen any Paul Thomas Anderson film and liked it, whether it's Punch Drunk to um, Phantom Thread. Just ask them if they've seen it and like go, yeah, it's on Netflix. Um, have a go. I did. I did enjoy it. Um, and it's not too long as no, well. No, it's not. An hour forty-two. Yeah. An hour forty-two. Great. Uh, repeat viewing score, Jake. Um, I'd go with another four. You know, I think like, it really warrants it. But then it depends what you want to get out of a repeat viewing. I don't think you're not going to glean much more of the plot. It's not like watching a Christopher Nolan film where yeah. you and then you pick up oh that's why that happened or that foreshadowing or things like that i don't think that's what it's there for uh going back to 
Studio Ghibli where we started this episode like My Neighbor Totoro which is a really lovely film to just be in mm. and you watch it over and over again just for the feeling of it and that's why I really like Hard Eight one of the first DVDs I ever got was Ocean's Eleven another sure. film about gambling oh god <laughs> <laughs> this horrible realisation um <laughs> But that was another film that is, in a way, the polar opposite of this because it's glitz and glamour and it's music and it's loud, but it's just full of character and life that I want to surround myself with. So you want to, you would you want to just go and revisit the world of Hard Day every now and again? Yeah, strange. It's a bit dark. Yeah, it is dark. There are so but, many but, other films no, that think, are much nicer to be immersed in. But it's so nice. They're they're such warm, caring characters within this sleazy world, and that's what gives it so much life and light. And that's why I would go back to it. Louisa? Maybe a bit higher. Maybe yeah, let's go three. Maybe, yeah, just right, thinking myself, sure. I, I might go back and watch it and see if, you know, second time's a charm. Sure. Maybe that's what I need to do with Magnolia. Yeah. I think so. <laughs> I think maybe if I sat down in the morning rather than late at night. and but Magnolia does have the, the Nolan-y plot stuff as well. Where yeah. you, like it's only a few... Yeah, goes deep in Magnolia that you realise, oh, that's how that you person is connected yeah, to that. You could watch Magnolia you know, over and over again. Yeah. But I think Hard Eight, you would... Yeah, I couldn't watch it eight times. Helen? Um, I think I would definitely struggle to watch this again. And I don't... <laughs> um, I, yeah, a one. I sorry. <laughs> oh, wow. I know, sorry. I, like, some, I just... That's a harsh not, dip from I know. three to one. It's interesting seeing how people... I don't know, get not defensive, but embarrassed sometimes about the films. <laughs> I don't think you're embarrassed. You're still quite happy that you yeah, chose it. It's I, I like personal. the film. <laughs> but I really don't like to dislike films. Mm. So this is quite painful for me. Yeah. Uh, well, there's some early films that we had on here that you might want to avoid. Um, <laughs> we, can go, we can give you the list of what to yeah. avoid. Okay. Um, I'm going to go for, I'm not, gonna, I'm not sure I'm going to watch it much. And I just don't, I don't know. I don't, maybe I don't have an inherent rewatchability for, for Paul Thompson. If you already watched it twice, though. Yeah, I watched it twice, but that's for a different reason. I'm going to go for two, two point one. I wouldn't be happy. I wouldn't be disappointed to put it on again. If my wife came in and she's watching, I'd be like, "Yeah, I'll, I'll join you for for the rest of it." But would you be on your phone during? I'd probably. Be, I'd probably do another stuff. I'd be quite happy. This yeah. would be one of those films where the talking's more important a lot of the time than what's going on on the screen. So I'd be quite happily like doing some chores in the in the lounge. In a way, that's quite nice because yeah. I think that goes back to the, the idea of it being a, like a comfort film yeah, that yeah. you can just whack it on. It's join not it. Comforting though. It is. <laughs> You're really weird. You're yeah. I'm seeing a whole new side There's to you. There's a difference between this and you know the warm, cuddly Totoro. Uh, maybe maybe Totoro but... just needed a gun and then that would really <laughs> sorted it out. <laughs> Terrible. Uh, and some gambling. Score. Um. Yeah, I think like this is where I would lower mine. I think I think. Oh, this, really? I wish I could have seen this at the cinema. Really? Um, yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. Um, you don't need to see this on a big screen. You could watch it on your phone on the tube. You could. You absolutely could, and that would be fine. I, I'm f- firmly pro people watching stuff on their phones, so I'll, I'll keep this score in the positive. Helen, like three. Calm down. Um, but <laughs> I wish I could watch this in a cinema and I think it would be an even more rich experience for it because of how it's been photographed. It like, would be more again, immersive. Those, those, those yeah. Vegas lights, they're hypnotizing. But there's not much time spent in the Vegas kind of milieu, is there? It's more, because even the casino it's, it's scenes are It's more the aren't... slightly sad side of yeah. casinos mm. as well rather than like 
Scorsese's casino. Because what was that? What was that game they were playing when they went to, when when they're in Reno? I've never heard of it before. This film, where you have to like pick a number and then, which is when you first yeah, see yeah. Paltrow. I, I don't know the name. That seemed like such an odd random game. You sit, you're sitting at your table. Gwyneth gives you says, "Do you want to play this round?" And you say, "Yes." Twenty three, and then like five minutes later, you you find out when you win. That sounds some like, variant of bingo. Sound, yeah, yeah, exactly, where you just have to pick one yeah. number. But that sounds like such a sad. I looks like such a sad game. Zero knowledge of gambling and, and card games and things. I just don't really know. I have no crap, so no, I don't know how that game ever works. Um, so what score are you giving us for small screen? Ah, uh, three, three. When you said, okay, lower it for screen. Sure. Louisa? I'll give it a five. No interest in watching this in the cinema? I feel like maybe I'd enjoy it more in the cinema because I couldn't I couldn't Escape. leave. <laughs> yeah, and it's just bigger so you can't look away and it's easier to focus. Sure. Whereas when I watched it on my laptop, I was very much thinking like, oh, like a snack or, you know, pause it and look at the time. <laughs> yeah, well, you mean, see how much time left oh my god like yeah 28 minutes. so maybe i know maybe i shouldn't give it such a high small screen maybe let's go a two okay okay let's go two no well i mean five is fine I, at I'm, this I, point I it's I become it's all become meaningless for this <laughs> <film> <laughs> um helen uh is in, in is the prince charles not ever done a they have, yeah. They, they, they did a retrospective, this. yeah. That's where I saw Magnolia and it was yeah. amazing. Okay. So yeah. you didn't get to see it then then? Sadly no. not, okay. no. Um, but yeah, I'm sure it will roll around again. They'll always sell tickets for Paul Thomas Anderson mm-hmm. films. Would that be, because I did recently like a, a Stallone, Stallone-a-thon. Um, would you do a Paul Thomas Anderson-a-thon? No. Anderson-a-thon. No. I imagine you'd come out needing lots of hugs. Hugs <laughs> and like somewhere to lie down. Yeah. You'd have such like a, a headache. Yeah. Oh no, you can't. I'm not into those marathons. No, neither. Um, Helen. Um. So yeah, I mean, I'm going to give it a five. I think it works fine on um, your TV screen, and I think we didn't even know it existed. And you might be a Paul Thomas Anderson fan sitting there listening, going, "I didn't know it was on Netflix, and that's the only one I've never ever seen." And it's on Netflix, and you can watch it, and this is one of the like things about Netflix is you'll discover there is like the first film by your favorite director on there. And I, I think it works um, fine for small screens. Yeah. I'm happy with it being on small screen. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't think I would have wanted to see it in a cinema. So five compared to Phantom Thread, which is again, I still just find it bizarre. It's him, right? It's Paul Tom Sanderson and your man who did Roma. Alfonso Cuarón. Yeah. And also um, Carrie Fukunaga. Just directors who just think, yeah, I'll do the cinematography for my, for my latest films and smash it out of the park. Bastards. <laughs> There's still time to change your career. Uh, I think I'm set. I'm happy. Okay. I'm happy. I'm all right. It's taken a long time to get to their, their, their kind of level. Yeah. Um, engagement score, Jake. Um, I, I, well, as you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I get firmly wrapped up in this one. Uh, and I yeah, get locked into the, the world of it. And so, I'll, yeah, I'll probably go back to where I started with a four. Yeah. Louisa I'll give it two f- just for Gwyneth <laughs> <laughs> Helen um, I'm going to give it a three as I said before I did struggle a, a little bit with this the pace and the darkness and I I don't know I just didn't really connect with the characters either sure. which is a bit of a shame um, so yeah three um, I'm going to go for I'm going to go for four point two eight four point two eight um, very specific yeah 4.28. I think the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, 
generally really enjoyed everything um, that happened. There's a few kind of missteps, which for me kind of takes me out of it a bit later on, um, such as suddenly with Gwyneth's character and John C. Ryan's character get married and there's a bit of stupidness happens in the motel room. And you're like... And their relationship is so awkward. Yeah, so it's such and a so weird kind stilted. of setup. Yeah, so it's that kind of, that kind of bit happens. And then suddenly Samuel L. Jackson turns out to be a proper bad guy. And you're like, I think if it was just them mowing around Vegas and being like just chilling out and maybe doing a few cons and stuff like that, that would have been a bit more yeah. enticing for me. But it loses points because it made me, it threw me out of the film towards the end of it, I think. Um, so yeah, three points, sorry, 4.28. And that gives us an overall score of 3.24250. Is that Which, good or is that bad? That's all right. Good. I mean, that's all right. Anything over a three is pretty good. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm glad that I put my fours in there. We yeah. could have been, <laughs> it could have been dive bombed a bit more. Yeah, defensive scoring. Um, guys, can you? Oh yeah, we need to go to Twitter. Yeah. Um, before we record each film, we always go to Twitter. Uh, in this case, is saying we're reviewing Hard Eight hashtag Hard Eight with Jake Cunningham and Girls on Top's Tees. Have you seen it? Give us your thoughts for an on there shout out on Flix Watcher. Ask him for a rating and a quick review. Um, Jake, do you want to? Read out the first one. Yeah, so Liam Dempsey has said it's a very strong and compact debut feature. It may not have the grandeur of La- Anderson's later work, but it has a superb central trio of acting performances and a resting sharp script. And I would firmly agree. Thank you, Liam. Should have got Liam on the podcast <laughs> yeah. instead of me to talk about this. Uh, Liam gives me, it four stars. Me and Liam are doing our own spin-off podcast exclusively about heartache. Good. Well, you may. Um, you, have you met Liam? No, I haven't. <laughs> well, Liam is from uh, Spotlight Podcast uh, and he has been to a couple of the, if you're a film podcast in London, we have these meetups, so do get in touch with us. Liam, yeah. if you're listening, I'm watching The Next Generation for the first time and, I'm, <laughs> and I need people to talk to about it, so oh, get he'll in be touch. All over that. Yes, he'll be all over definitely. Yeah, we can connect you. Uh, Louisa, can you take the next Oh, review. Taylor's podcast is very much on my, my wavelength and says, this is one of the movies I keep an eye out for in new stores because of Gwyneth. But I have yet to see it. I need to get on it. Not quite a review. No. no. But Tasteless, if you're in the UK, it's certainly on Netflix at the moment. So, yeah, go and watch it. <laughs> um, right. Thank you very much. Can you sign off, guys, by letting everyone who's listening know where they can find you online and um, say bye? Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me, sure. guys. Uh, you can find Girls on Tops on all social media platforms and we're Girls on Tops Tees. And you can buy the T-shirts yes, from Yes, of there course. As well. Yeah, you can buy them as well. We have an Etsy store and that's girls on tops tees as well fantastic uh i'm on twitter that's jkh cunningham and if you like studio ghibli and you want to listen to people talk about it uh you can listen to the ghibliotech podcast that's uh with a th for tech <laughs> how else is people do it without the h okay yeah i would have thought the problem would be the the, the k versus que at the end yeah i mean i struggle to write it down if i'm honest yeah Next time, as I said, we're looking for new shows. <laughs> Just an easier to spell yeah. word. But it's yeah. bibliotheque as in like a French word for library. Yeah, I know. That's what it is. And it's a library because we go through the films. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. It's, it's, it's a name. great name. Yeah. I just can't spell it. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much for coming on. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Bye. Enjoy listening to Flixwatcher podcast. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen to your podcasts. Why not leave us your five-star review on iTunes and follow us at FlixWatcherPod on Twitter. Thank you, Rachel Jordan, for editing this podcast and making it sound so smooth and slick and sweet. And thank you very much to Mighty People for the tunes that you all are enjoying now. <laughs>